Hello. This is the recording of the second Twitter Spaces that I did with my friend V in early February. As you probably know if you listen to my main podcast episodes, she decided after the first one that this was a really good use of social media that should work pretty well for my online style. So we've been doing them fortnightly since then. We follow the same format, and indeed that's the format we've been using since of creating questions and then getting me to answer them in a kind of Q&A or casual interviewer type environment. We're always open to questions from you though too, so if you have anything you want me to answer, then drop us a line at the usual places. Or come on to a Twitter session and request the Mac. Upcoming spaces topics will be solo travel, border crossings and visa admin, travel and money, including budgeting, but also using money abroad safely, and packing and luggage. If you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like me to talk about in these sessions too, again, don't hesitate to drop either of us a note. This particular session is on travel planning when you're really not a planner. And given that I once did a Twitter poll overnight to tell me which direction and country I should visit the next day, only to wake up and find that it was exactly a 50-50 result, I'm probably either the worst or the best person to talk about travel planning. But I tried. Kind of. Again, be aware this conversation took place over the phone, so the audio quality won't be as great as my normal podcast episodes. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a fortnightly series looking at unfamiliar places around the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. There we go. Fabulous. We got there in the end. Yes. <laughs> Which is quite fitting for our topic, really, <laughs> all about planning. We didn't plan that wonderfully well, did we? Um, anyway. Anyway, so just quickly introduce uh-huh. us. Um, yeah. I'm Victoria Pearson. You can call me V. I'm really just here to ask the Barefoot Backpacker questions, so it's not really boring and makes it sound like they're talking to themselves. Um, You probably already know this if you're here, but if you are new, the Barefoot Backpacker is a podcaster and blogger who goes beyond the brochure and visits places so that you don't have to, although I have yet to convince them to visit Slough. Um, Today we're talking about travel planning when you're really not a planner, and just after we set the topic for this space, decided to do a last-minute trip, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, yes. So so you're actually on a trip that you planned at the last second right now. I am, absolutely. So today is Thursday and I planned this trip, or I say I planned, I booked my journey out literally a week ago. Bearing in mind that I um, I left on Friday, this means that I booked my coach ticket two days before I left. That's fantastic. Is that normal for you? I think to... it's, um, it's fairly standard for me, let's be honest. So, so is that how far in advance you would usually book one of your trips? Yeah, kind of. Uh, one of my problems, problems, probably not the word, one of my facets 
is that I am very indecisive and I don't like committing to things. So often I will um and ah about, oh, should I go here? Should I go there? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then actually not book anything until the very last minute because I feel I have to. Is that the case even when it's a trip to somewhere quite far away? Because you're you're on a fairly localish trip at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, I'm I'm in Northern Ireland, so it's literally just a six-hour coach ride from where I live in Glasgow. But if, um, if you were somewhere very far away, would you plan it further in advance, or are you always a last minute? I've booked intercontinental flights on the day I've left before now. <laughs> well, that would give me the anxiety. <laughs> Um, I mean, the first one I remember doing was I booked a trip to visit one of my friends abroad in Australia, and I booked it with about a week's notice. <laughs> and that, that is, I'm not wrong in thinking about a 24-hour flight away, isn't it? Uh, I had four breakfasts that day. <laughs> so um, when you go on a trip and you are booking that close to actually leaving, do, do you have quite a structured itinerary for the trip or do you just sort of see how things go? Like, would you book tours and excursions in advance as well? Or are you very much going to turn up and see what happens? The short answer is it very much depends on what the tour is, because I travel alone most of the time. So some of the places that I go to are quite tricky to get to on your own. They do require a little bit of forethought. And sometimes it helps to book a tour just to um, make sure I actually get there, if nothing else. But what I've tended to find a lot of the times is that it's off, it's easier to book it when I'm there rather than, you know, when I'm back at home. Yeah. Even then, I'll book it last minute, but I'll book it last minute because it's just easier to book it there and then on the spot. You know, there's a tour going hiking in Kyrgyzstan mountains you know I'm not going to necessarily know about those tours if I'm back in Glasgow yeah if I'm in Kyrgyzstan I can go to the tourist office and go hi are there any tours and I go yes there's one tomorrow I go fabulous that suits me fine that actually brings me to something that I was going to ask you a bit later actually but um things like when you're at a destination you travel mostly by public transport don't you yes Um, so do you look up when you're at home things like bus and train timetables before you leave or do you just sort of work it out once you get there? Most of the places I go to, it's almost impossible to find local transport uh, information on, online. That must um, make planning quite difficult if you're going to more than one destination. Yes, but equally, what I do, and this is what I certainly what I did in, I, I, I backed, backed around Southern Africa for a couple of weeks a few years back. And my basic principle was Masvingo is a fairly big city. Bulawayo is a fairly big city. There's a fair chance I can get from one to the other. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but it makes logical sense that, you know, people in Zimbabwe can get from one to the other without driving. I'm sure I can manage it. I just have to find out how they do it, where they go and what they do. So very often it's a case of turning up to the bus station and going, so is there a bus today to wherever? And they'll go, yeah. When does it leave? When it's full. Fabulous. <laughs> so that must mean that you've sometimes been in a situation then where your plans just haven't worked out that day. Maybe like a bus hasn't turned up and so you've missed a connection somewhere or you turn up at a hostel and find that it's unexpectedly closed, something like that. How do you cope when plans go off track like that? By not making them in the first place. <laughs> um, the thing about the way I travel is that it, it's very much if something goes wrong, I can react very quickly because I haven't 
necessarily made so many plans based off the back of it in the first place. So, you know, if I'd have, if I was going backpacking, say, around, well, I mean, the one I'm on now, Northern Ireland, right? So Northern Ireland's a fairly simple place to go backpacking around because everything's online, everything's simple, it's clear. But, you know, I still haven't planned everything in advance because, you know, a train might be late or something or, you know, a bus might not turn up or it might turn out that I can't get from A to B particularly well, which is what happened yesterday. I was in I was in Derry and I was trying to get to Armagh and there's one direct bus a day and I wanted to lie in bed because it left at like 10 to 10 in the morning and I wanted to I, I fancied a lie in let's not let's not get that bus let's do let's just have a casual thing and see how else I can do this journey it turns out the best way of doing the journey is to go via Belfast but there's there's plenty of other ways of doing it but I wouldn't have known it until I looked well I looked online and there were about three or four different routes but when I went to the bus station in Derry and asked them, they gave me a completely different route that I hadn't picked, hadn't been picked up online that worked particularly well. So I went for that one instead because it was cheaper. And do you feel a bit more secure doing that in a country where like English is very widely yeah. spoken? You feel confident in the language. Would that be more difficult if you were in one of your more obscure or far flung destinations where you maybe don't understand how to communicate? Yeah, I mean, my social anxiety is, is really big for this sort of thing, which is why I have issues sometimes. But that's a social anxiety thing rather than a rather than something specific to that country. That's just me. I would have that problem in Italy. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's, more, it's more about me and my being able to cope with it. Um, I mean, one of my phrases is knowledge is power. And it's especially true for situations when I'm in a foreign country and don't speak the language. Uh, which is why it helps if there's things online. But again, what I tend to find is that if I go, say, to a railway station, I can just look at the timetables because they usually have them printed on the walls of the station. Yeah. And that helps. And what the other thing that that helps with is knowing where I can get to. It's not just a case of can I get to X. It's also a case of, oh, I'd never thought of going to place Y. There's a train that leaves tomorrow at three in the afternoon. And I suppose if you had overplanned every aspect of your trip, you would never get a chance to sort of go off your own map like that and say, oh, I've never heard of this particular place. I'll check that out. Yes. And, and, and there's things that help. So before I leave, um, and it may help if I tell you how I choose a destination in the first place. I was going to ask you that, so do go ahead. Okay, fabulous. It's not like we've planned this talk around. <laughs> so you do um, go to some places that are... Like a lot of people haven't heard of some of the places that you go. Like, how do you decide where you're going to travel to next? A lot of the times it's because there's something interesting in that place. Now, my interests are history, my interests are culture, my interests are scenery. Um, so, oh, and beer, but that's the by the by. Um, so what will often happen is there will be something, you know, I'll remember something from my childhood from a like one news item. 30 years ago or there'll be something that's constantly in the papers or there'll be you know maybe i'll read maybe i'll have read a story or a you know i could seen a documentary about a particular place and about something that happened in that place and it'll lodge in my mind and i'll go oh that's really interesting i must go there and that's kind of what i do and it doesn't really matter where those places are because obviously everywhere everywhere has history some of it most of it quite dark history 
Yeah, you've gone to some pretty dark places, actually. Um, the deep dive section of your blog has a has a category called dark tourism, which yeah. can get very dark. <laughs> That's probably the subject for another space. Yes. Um, look, in essence, it's a case of these places exist and I want to go to them. So the first thing that I do when I decide where I'm going is to literally it's decide where I'm going. Before I decide how to get there, before I work out, you know, can I even get there? It's I want to go here. Then I look at a map and I go, what else is in the area that's interesting? So I go, you know, for example, let's look at, um, I don't know, North. Let, I mean, obviously, I'm in North Ireland, so let's look at North Ireland. So I wanted to go to Belfast and I wanted to go to Derry. So it's a case of looking, well, what else is there in North Ireland? What is there around? OK, is there anything in Enniskillen? Having a look. Nothing that strikes out at me. What about Omer? Well, there's this folk park just outside Elmer about um, Irish emigration to the USA. Living Museum might be interesting. Fabulous. Right. Never heard of it. How do I get there? That's my next question. It sounds interesting. How do I get there? Can I get there? Yep, there's a direct bus from Derry. Right. Let's do that. And that's kind of the way I do it. And it, it is quite last minute because I tend to look at these things about a day or two in advance. And is that process the same even like wherever you are in the world? Yes, pretty much. Um, but the other advantage of that is I can go, OK, I don't want to do X and I don't want to do Y. What else is in the area? Oh, there's a place over here I've never heard of. Right, I'll do that tomorrow and then just change my plans and just go somewhere else. Just yeah, because I can. Um, it's like today, there's not far from where I'm staying is an old hill fort. It's the old ancient capital of the Irish kingdom of Ulster. And mm -hmm. I wanted to go, but it wasn't until last night that I decided to go today rather than yesterday. Fair enough. And um, is that sort of a big part of why you like to travel alone? Yeah, well, it, yes, in the sense that it's a big part of why I why I do travel alone, because my not booking things in advance and my going randomly, it's like sometimes I'll even walk through a city street and then go, oh, there's an interesting bit of street I'll over here and then just veer off to the right down an alleyway without mm. telling anyone. Um, I think part of it is I don't think many people could travel with me because that yeah. just frustrate them after a while. But then that does also show, like, if anybody is tuning in to listen to this space because they are hankering after an adventure, but they don't really know where to start with it. If you do even just a tiny little minimal bit of planning, you will probably be just fine. <laughs> Essentially, there are buses everywhere. <laughs> they, might not be, they might not be terribly regular or frequent, but there's generally buses everywhere because the people that live there have to get to places. And that, that's my view is that if they can do it, I can do it. So before you go to a place, <clears throat> probably not necessarily relevant for Northern Ireland, but um, say you're going to somewhere a bit further away, um, yep. do you memorise phrases in the language? Like, please, thanks, sorry, I haven't got any money. Like, like do you find out about local customs and cultures before you go? Um, or do you just sort of wing it once you get there? And I would love to be able to learn phrases in foreign languages. I would love it. It'd be great. It would make my life a lot easier. However, I have the attention span of a dead gnat. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'll go into this with the great knowledge of, um, right, I'm going to take a phrase book. I'm going to try and learn things like, hello, goodbye, thank you, please. And the numbers, the numbers are very important because everything revolves around money. So if you're like sort of in a marketplace and someone does no price tags or anything you say ask how much things are you need to be able to understand what the answer is yeah or or in buses 
you know, if you're paying by buses, um, it helps to, because they don't have a, they don't very often have I kind of kind of a display to say how much it is. So you're just reliant on what the bus driver tells you. So and you've got to be able to say cheers drive to the bus driver. Oh, yeah. Otherwise you just come across as rude. <laughs> absolutely. I agree entirely. Uh, my problem is that I go into this with great intentions of, you know, learning phrases in the foreign language and trying to be, trying to not be the obvious tourist. You've done blatantly the obvious tourist. Um, but it never works out like that because I can never remember the phrases. <laughs> because I, my brain... Is, is that because things. you do that at the last minute too? Like, uh, well, okay. three things. <laughs> I don't give myself enough time to learn. Um, I'm too socially anxious to use the phrases because I'm scared of getting them wrong and being laughed at um, because I'm the obvious tourist. Um, but also my brain doesn't actually work that quickly live. So yeah. I find it very difficult to use phrases in a foreign language. And I find it very difficult to learn the phrases in a foreign language. Uh, and I especially get really scared when people reply. Because yeah, it's, one thing, it's one thing memorising by rote a particular, like, you know, when you're at school and you do those role play exercises. It's one thing memorising by rote what you're going to say. Like, you know, can I get to, how do I get to the railway station, for instance? Yeah, but they might not stay on script. <laughs> Exactly. They may not stay on script and there's no guarantee that you'll be able to understand the answer. Yes. Um, so it, it, doing stuff in foreign languages is a lot more. It's a lot more than just taking a phrase book. You either have to, in my in my head, you either have to be reasonably competent at the simple stuff or you just can't do it. And I just can't do it because my I just I would love to be able to speak foreign languages, but my brain doesn't work that way. So do you do a lot of miming and acting things out? Yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot you can do with I want that one and pointing at it. Mm -hmm. uh, and one finger for one, two fingers for two, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, I try. I mean, things do lodge in my head and I have learned some ridiculous words. But in general, it's and I find it quite embarrassing because I know that it just makes me appear like this sort of ignorant English tourist that doesn't know anything. I'm conscious of that and I don't want to be seen as that but I can't for some reason I just can't do it do you think maybe if you did sort of book and plan things further in advance you would be able to sort of practice the languages and things a bit more beforehand and feel a bit more confident in doing it no well, I suppose I suppose a lot of the places that you visit though have such a wide array of spoken languages and no sort of main language yeah I mean a lot of the places that I've visited are, are colonial. Mm. So while I'll have a lot of local languages, um, they'll also have probably, grudgingly, a colonial language that they use as a kind of lingua franca. And yeah. a lot of the time it's English because, hey. I wonder why that could be. <laughs> no idea why that could be. Hmm. Um, but also, but <laughs> quite a few of the places I've been to, the colonial <laughs> language is French. And... I haven't studied French since 1991, despite at one point having a French fiancé and a couple of French friends who shared a house with me. Um, they all prefer to speak English. But I can get by in French because I've, I've remembered enough of it from so long ago and I've vaguely kept up with it since. So it's not as difficult for me to get around Francophone countries as it might otherwise be. Yeah. I find it more comfortable to visit West Africa than Italy. 
for that respect. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, because you'd be more comfortable in French. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so you often travel barefoot. In fact, I don't I think do. you ever don't travel barefoot, do you, really? Um, I mean, right, OK. Right. Just on that note, I'd like to point out that it is, what is it, the 10th of February? Yes. It's the 10th of February. I'm in Northern Ireland. It's about zero degrees out there. I am not barefoot. Well, I'm barefoot no. right now because I'm inside. Um, but I have been wearing sandals. Oh, uh, you do surprise me. I thought you mostly wore your sandals when it was too hot rather than when it was too cold. I've seen you walk barefoot through snow. Yes, I have seen me walk barefoot through snow as well. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but yeah, so you've been travelling barefoot. and Some cultures barefoot. have like quite specific things about feet in that you can't show your soles of your foot to a person that's seen as very rude things like that uh, are those sorts of cultural and local customs things that you would look up before you go to a new space or do you just sort of wing that as you get there as well yeah I things like table manners differ between countries and cultures things like that is is that the sort of thing that you worry about before you go somewhere or do you just kind of take a cue from the people around you yeah i mean the thing with Okay, so there's a number of things there. So the barefoot thing, um, yeah, there's a lot of cultures where it's rude to show the soles of your feet, but equally th those are the same cultures where, you know, you take your shoes off before you go inside a building. Mm. It's very much you sort of, you just act normally. Because the only way you'd show the soles of your feet is if you're sort of sitting down on the floor and your legs are yeah. sort of long. And you don't, you shouldn't really do that anyway in a like a public place because you're just getting in the way. So. Yeah. Um, a lot of those cultural things are things that wouldn't – it's not that you wouldn't do them anyway. It's just that you'd have to go a little bit out of your normal way to, to break those customs, I think. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, there's that whole you shouldn't – there's certain parts of the world where, you know, being topless is um, frowned upon. But I never go topless anyway. Yeah. And a lot of my clothing attire – so. A lot of the, I think, temples in Southeast Asia, certainly, but presumably also, yeah, mosques as well. You've got to, like, sort of cover your knees and cover your elbows and things like mm -hmm. that. And the vast majority of what I wear, I'm going to cover my knees and my elbows. So in that respect, I dress relatively conservatively. I mean, I dress quite, you know, I dress like a, a very queer, I would say a queer man, but that would be pushing it. Um, I dress quite presenter. <laughs> Uh, I dress quite flamboyantly, but it's still, in terms of length, I very rarely wear shorts, for instance. And I, even though I'll tend to wear T-shirts or a short-sleeved shirt, as long as my shoulders are covered, it's fine. And if my, if on the rare occasions that I need to cover my elbows, then I'm, I've probably got a, a fleece or a coat or something that's light enough to, to flick on. So that's mm. sort of the problem. After so when it comes to that sort of thing, um, is that something that you feel you can generally sort of figure out once you're there? And people aren't going to get too mad about you doing anyway because they can see you're doing your best. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, there are things things like, you know, um, temple attire. It's stuff that people generally know anyway. And even yeah. if you don't, there's usually, there's usually signposts outside telling you what you can and can't do. Yeah. And so, in like, religious buildings, it's quite obvious that you yes. tend to dress more conservatively anyway. Yeah. So that, that's um, that's not that's not so much of a planning thing. That's just I'd like to say that's common knowledge, but um, sadly, <coughs> <it is. laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's other things like 
Um, like there's museums in Southeast Asia where you're not supposed to wear shoes, so you have to leave them outside. Is but that because the they're sort of religious museums, or is it just that they don't want to keep washing the floor? It's a cultural thing. Because you tend to take your shoes off in the house, you'll tend to take your shoes off in other buildings as well. Um, as in like most public buildings, or rather than museums specifically? Or? Um, in Laos, it was museums and religious temples, that sort of thing. But I definitely, in the in Philippines, we wandered into a travel agent that required us to leave our shoes outside. Mm, interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, we wouldn't have known that, um, but there were signs. So we didn't need to plan. <laughs> it seems weird to say plan clothing attire to go shopping with. But well, I suppose that that is an important aspect, especially if you are backpacking, because you have to be quite discerning about what you take with you and yes. so knowing what kind of clothing you're going to need when you get there in advance is probably quite an important aspect of it really how far in advance do you pack before a trip my record is 20 minutes <laughs> was that for somewhere quite far flung for a long destination or was that just a quick weekend away somewhere um if memory serves that was a trip to the usa so quite far um, then really where you came but I was staying with friends at the time, so it wasn't as bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, the only reason it took 20 minutes was because I only had 20 minutes between leaving work and catching a bus to the airport. Me, what, did you book it that day as well? No, I booked it a couple of days earlier. So you actually so, had a few days. <laughs> Before we go on holiday, I, I would pack quite far in advance, but that's because obviously I'm packing for six people. Yes, but, I'm just packing for yeah. me. I mean... Generally, I'll do the washing the night before. So by the time by the time it comes around to packing my clothes, then they might actually be dry. I don't think that I could travel with you. <laughs> <laughs> no offence. I, I don't think I could travel with you. I need to plan things. We'd have lists. But on, but on that note, when it comes to, to packing for travel, I don't generally plan what I take for clothing because, as I say, my clothes are all fairly standard anyway. So... As long as I've got something that keeps me warm, as long as I've got something that keeps me cool, then everything else is just... I presume uh, you take more hats than you're going to need. No. On account of leaving hats. So maybe you should. <laughs> there, there, isn't, there isn't enough space in my backpack for an infinite number of hats. <laughs> you just have a little pile of them on your head. <laughs> yeah. uh, just keep losing uh, the top one. <laughs> hats, fleeces, coats, yeah... Um, I don't really so yeah, stop. so you lose a lot of stuff because of your ADHD, yeah. Um, so that must make like the admin side of travel quite challenging as well. How do you keep track of things like what vaccinations you've had in the past and stuff like that? Well, fortunately, not many places require them. Um, but I have a small yellow booklet that I got when I got my yellow fever jab in 2014, and. Everything I've had since then, except for the COVID jobs, because I couldn't find it, uh, is in that booklet. I think you can get that digitally now, but I don't know if that would be like acceptable for when you're travelling. I don't know how you find out what vaccinations that you need to travel, um, whether the drinking water is safe, that sort of thing. How do you find that sort of thing out? And how far in advance do you find out that sort of thing before you travel? If you do a lot of your things very last minute, it must be difficult if you want to go to a place and then you realise that you're supposed to have this vaccine three months in advance or something like that. 
I mean, yeah, and that's never happened, to be fair. The way I found out is by looking at the Foreign Office website. That's generally the way. And then the do second you, way... Do even like, the, the obscure places come up on there? If you wanted to go to somewhere that no one's ever heard of sort of thing, would you still be able to find stuff like the visa requirements and vaccine requirements and things like that online? In theory. Um, the Foreign Office website, in theory, has everything like that for every country. In practice, the problem is we don't have consulates or embassies in every country. So getting visas for some countries is a little tricky, does require a little, little bit of planning. Uh, there have been visas that I have had to buy in advance, a couple of months in advance, which is distinctly worrying because I don't know what I'm going to be doing in two months' time. I don't know when I'm going to be leaving. I haven't booked the flight yet. Oh, wait, I need to book the flight for the visa. Um, mm. That's very, very annoying, Uzbekistan. Please don't do that again. Um, so does that ever put you off going to a place then because you're like, oh, I can't be faffed with all that admin and planning in advance? Yes. <laughs> Um, there are a couple of places I have not been to because the admin is too much. Um, Turkmenistan. I've not been to Turkmenistan because it requires far too much admin, as a British citizen, anyway, um, because it's a country that requires you to go on an official tour. Oh. Now, when I say official tour, generally it means you have to be guided around the country by an official tour guide. And uh, the official tour guide could be just, you know, a 20-year-old called Bob who happens to live in, in Ashgabat and wants a bit of money on the side. But you So still... you have to take a tour and then you can go off on your own or you have to be accompanied the whole time that you're there? When I last looked into this, which was literally a couple of years back, for British citizens, it was you could get a transit visa for about three days or you had to be guided by a, a chap for the whole of your trip. I mean, I can't say that I blame a lot of countries for wanting to keep an eye on us. We have got a bit of a habit of nicking things for our museums and stuff. <laughs> There's that old joke about, um, you know, the Egyptian, the pyramids in Egypt and Sudan. It's, um, you know, these are great. How long have they been here? Why are they, why are they still here? I'm impressed. Yeah, it's because we couldn't nick them. <laughs> they wouldn't fit in the British Museum, so we had to leave them there. Um, yes. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of places. Like, I wanted to go to Iran, but I couldn't because, again, I needed a tour guide and I couldn't be faffed with the, with the admin. And there's a couple of other places like that as well. Um, Nigeria, um, for a British citizen, requires all manner of admin. That <sighs> The thing is, and what you've got, always got to remember, is that I'm obviously very privileged having a British passport because this only happens to certain countries. If you hold a passport for, uh, like I've got, a, I've got a, a tweep who's Indian, and she can't travel last minute because pretty much everywhere requires her to get, you know, visa in advance and proof of bank balances and proof of employment signed by her employer and things like that. Gosh, that's um, quite overkill. It is very much overkill, but it's the norm for a lot of a lot of citizens of a lot of countries. We just and you, you get all of these now we've left the European Union, you have a lot of Brits going, oh, my God, there's so much admin going to the European Union now. And I'm just going, yeah, welcome to the real world. You're making me wish that I could remember which of your podcasts you talked about passport privilege on, because... Um, I think yeah. it was episode 25. Episode 25, which is on beth-backpacker.com, along with all of the Travel Tales podcasts. Mm. <laughs> That was very smoothly done, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> my, my, my mother said you sounded like a radio presenter. Oh, really? 
<laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Um, so have you ever wished that you had planned something a little bit better or more thoroughly than you did? I mean, Has it ever ruined a trip, your last minuteing? It's never ruined a trip. I mean, the answer to that question is, is both yes and no. I like the way I travel and I like the way I travel last minute. And I miss out on things. I know I miss out on things because I discovered that, you know, this place has something really interesting two days after I left it. <laughs> is but, it do you ever then cycle back and go, oh, I must go and visit that thing because I missed it? Or are you just mm -hmm. like, man, I might get back to you in 10 years or so? Yeah, pretty much the latter. It's like, yeah, it's gone now. I, I'm not going to go back. I don't like retracing my steps on a, on a journey. So I'll just do it next time. Um, on the flip side yeah, of that, have you ever overplanned a trip and ended up feeling restricted by your own plans or anything like that? No, God, no. I can't um, imagine you doing that, to be honest. I mean, I've travelled with other people who have overplanned, um, and it's very restrictive. And it's like, okay, so tomorrow we're going here. Thursday we're going there. Friday we're going there. And I'm going... But I might wake up with achy feet and want to lie in. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so no, I, I know why people do it. They do it for, as far as I can tell, for security of mind, peace of mind. Um, they like to know what's going on. They like to be sure of things. They don't like leaving things to chance. They want to yeah, what they're going to do that day, and it's great. It's fabulous. I just can't. I just can't do that. I think if I was traveling with my children, I'd want to make sure it was a bit structured, so I'd felt like that I hadn't wasted time, but also mm. so that I didn't have to waste brain space on thinking about what to do that day. But I think that your way of travel has got a lot to recommend it, especially because it means that you can't really be thrown off course by a change in plans because you can you just spontaneously embrace your new plan. What it does mean is that I sometimes I end up going to places that haven't been worth it. Mm -hmm. because, you know, I've, I've looked on the on the map and gone, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I get there and it isn't. <laughs> um, I thought you said that everywhere is interesting. <laughs> everywhere is interesting, but not everywhere requires two nights stay. <laughs> yeah fair enough I will make sure that when I finally do convince you to go to Slough it will be for just the one night <laughs> to Slough. well no I've been I've changed buses in Slough bus station that's now been demolished and I, I think you should go and find something interesting and cool and unique about Slough it's almost certainly got a craft beer hipster bar probably I don't um, I don't know why my children tell each other to go to Slough but there you go I mean, when I was growing up, it was always Coventry. And then I lived in Coventry and I realised why. <laughs> um, so not role modelness aside, um, what advice would you give people that want to have a go at backpacking for the first time but are feeling a bit overwhelmed by the whole idea? Uh, the best thing I can do, the best thing I can say is make sure you're going for the right reasons. Make sure you're going to the right places and make sure that you... I'm going to say this because it makes me a huge hypocrite. Um, plan it so that you enjoy it. Yeah. So you maybe don't want to over plan it, but have a few ideas of what you want to do when you get to a place. But all of those three things are tapered by you have to know yourself. You have to know what you are capable of and you have to know what you really want to do. Honestly, when you've just said um, make sure that you're going to the right places, I think it's important that those are the right places for you and what you want to see rather than the right places as in it will look very shiny on Instagram and everyone will be jealous. Yes. Well, the thing with Instagram is that lots of places look very shiny on Instagram and lots of places deserve to because they're absolutely fantastic places. Yeah. Um, there's a kind of movement in some parts of the travel, certainly travel Twitter, that's trying to sort of 
get away from the Instagram, sort of to, you know, slow travel. Yeah, but I'm, I'm there thinking there are some things that are popular for a reason and deservedly yeah. because, you know, they are pretty. They are interesting. Mm. They will be, you know, they will look good on photographs and you do should you should deserve to go and see them because they are definitely worth seeing. Yeah. There are some places that are not. Um, <laughs> when, when, it, when I say go to the right places for you, what I mean by that is know what you like. So if I were to say, if someone were to ask me, where should I go? Completely, you've got the whole world in front of you. You want to go somewhere abroad. Where would you suggest that I go as a new backpacker? I would generally always say Southeast Asia. And the reason I say that is because it's relatively cheap. There's a lot of other people backpacking there. So there's a lot of people to, you know, join with if you're feeling a bit lonely or you want to join a tour group. There's going to be plenty of people there to join with. Uh, obviously, this is all in non-COVID times. And there's a lot of interesting historical stuff. There's a lot of interesting cultural stuff. There's a lot of interesting, decent scenery down there. Um, so I would say Southeast Asia. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should go there if you've got no interest in Southeast Asia. Yeah. You have to decide what you want, why you're traveling, what you want to see and what you want to do. I've been to a number of parts of the world. And so I had a really enjoyable five weeks backpacking around West Africa a few years ago. But I know I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much and I wouldn't have got as much out of it if I hadn't done other backpacking trips before that to different parts of the world. Because West Africa is a place that doesn't have very many other backpackers. So you are very much on your own doing this. And you have to either be really good at planning, really good at winging it, or just, you know, probably fluent in at least four African languages. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one for when you're comfortable with spontaneously yeah. changing your plans, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, that's, and that's another point. I, mean, I, I referred to it earlier. So there are some parts of the world where you can't plan. There are some parts mm. of the world where... You know, you'll turn up to a town and you'll end up sleeping on the sofa of a moto taxi driver because it's just the easiest thing to do. There are some parts of the world where, you know, the hotels aren't, don't have websites. They still have phones. There are some parts of the world where, you know, the buses leave once a week and you won't know that until you get there and find out. And guidebooks used to be really good for this because someone's already done the hard work for you. But of course, things change. And yeah. there's no guarantee that you'll get to somewhere and find out that the bus that used to go on Wednesdays now goes on Thursdays. In general, when you turn up at a place, maybe your plans have gone a bit awry or the bus doesn't go this Wednesday of a week. It goes on the third Wednesday of a month or, you know, the hostel that you turned up to isn't operational anymore. Yeah. Have you been able to rely on strangers, people that don't understand you very well, that sort of thing to help you out and get you out of that bind? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought, I really genuinely just don't know what to do now? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I had that problem in um, Tamale in Ghana, where yeah. I turned up and none of the none of the B&Bs or hotels had any room for whatever reason. So that's how I ended up sleeping on the sofa of a moto taxi driver's house. Is um, that the worst place you've ended up sleeping? It's the, it's, it's the least planned place I've ever ended up sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I had that a couple of times um, on a couple of my trips where I've turned up to what my guidebook says is a hostel, which apparently has been closed for three years. Um, <laughs> and I just end up finding another one. It's just that in, in Tamale, there weren't any. 
Well, but, but still, things were okay. You're here to tell the tale, and <laughs> it all worked out all right in the end. The one thing, that, I mean, certainly traveling in Africa does this, but it's probably true across the whole of the world. It's the one thing that you end up realizing is that people will generally never let you suffer. Mm. There will always be a way. There will always be an opening. No matter what goes wrong, people will generally always look after you and make sure you get to your destination or make sure you have a bed for the night. Oh, that is such a lovely, lovely thought. And I think that that's where we will sort of wrap up there, actually, because I know that you have to be somewhere at half past and it's quarter past now. Um, But yeah, I like that. I like that note that you can generally always rely on the goodness of people. Yes. Yeah. And, And I see. I mean, we will go deeper into that in a future space where we're going to talk about um, travel and personal safety. Um, yeah. But I don't think that's going to be the next one. I think the next one that we do in two weeks is likely to be about um, travel and health because it kind of feeds in a little bit to what we've been talking about today about vaccinations and things as well. Oh, yeah. yeah, so planning, um, planning ahead for vaccinations. Oh, the other thing about planning, by the way, and we talked a little bit about it earlier and I wanted to bring it in. Um, mm-hmm. is admin and visas and stuff. You you said... Yes, I think we will talk about that more in depth in a future space as well, because we can talk about money and things there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, all I was going to say is that one of the things you do need to do is look to see um, if you need a visa, but also how you get the visa, because some places you can get visas on, uh, on arrival, and some places you can only get visas on arrival if you fly in rather than go overland. And it's very complicated, but you have to work if you have to, you don't necessarily have to plan anything. You just have to bear it in mind. Yeah. Plotting something complicated across international borders. It's something to bear in mind. Yeah. Um, And I suppose if you're planning a few border crossings in one trip, it's probably well worth looking at visa requirements way before you set out in case you do need to apply in advance. Alternatively, you can just backpack around the USA and you don't need to. Well, yeah, there is that too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we will be doing a future space that's all about the admin of travel, vaccinations, and um, we'll be talking as well about um, travel and health. And so hopefully by the time we have done a few of these little spaces, um, a listener will be able to plan an entire backpacking trip and know that they will probably survive it. <laughs> yes. All I will say to that is I've survived it. Yeah, if I can survive it, anyone can survive it. I think that's the, yeah. Now, if um, a listener doesn't want to wait that long to find out a bit more about you, um, they can read more about travel, packing and planning on your website, which is barefoot-backpacker.com. Or you can listen to them chat with other backpackers and travel tweets on their podcast, which is Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, which is also on the website as well. And, uh, yeah, I think next time we will be talking about travel and health, I think, in two weeks' time. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Um, But we will obviously tweet about that beforehand as well. Yes. Okay, look at that. We managed to start on time and just about finish on time. I know. Pretty well planned, if I do say (laughs) so myself. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, enjoy the rest of your trip. Thank you. And, yeah, we will speak again in two weeks on Spaces again, around this sort of time, probably. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 
thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Glasgow studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass Bonus by Kai Angel, which is available by the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. The podcast has a Facebook group at travel.tales.beyond.brochure, and I have a Patreon for access to rare extra content. That's patreon.com slash traveltalesbeyondbrochurepod. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now.